Hi, I'm Austin. I'm Alex. You're listening to One Last Breath, an autopsy of awful albums. Where we discuss controversial, bizarre, divisive, and downright abysmal albums. In today's episode, we'll be talking about British new wave band Duran Duran's eighth album, Thank You. Duran Duran was formed in 1978 in Birmingham, England by singer and bassist Stephen Duffy, keyboardist Nick Rhodes, and guitarist John Taylor, with drummer Roger Taylor joining in 1979. They went through numerous lineup changes before settling on their most famous lineup, uh, nicknamed, I think, the Famous Five, is one of like, their classic lineups nicknamed, okay. um, uh, in 1980, of Nick Rhodes on the keys, John Taylor, who shifted from guitar to bass, Roger Taylor on the drums, Andy Taylor taking over on lead guitar, and Simon Lebon on vocals. Is that three and, Taylors? Yeah, and they're, they're not related. They're not related? No. That was my next question. Yes, that was my first... I was like, what the fuck? Apparently that's a thing. Like, as soon as I searched... I was like, are the Taylors, and the first thing was from Duran Duran related. <laughs> but yeah, I was like, that's that's pretty, and uh, no, Roger Taylor isn't, that's also the drummer of Queen, but it's not the same guy. Because I also thought that for a second, I was like, wait, was Duran Duran a side project for Queen? Nah, but um, after gaining attention from touring as an opening act for singer-songwriter Hazel O'Connor, they became part Ooh. of a, I don't know, some singer-songwriter. I don't listen to singer-songwriters. Oh, you like Bob Dylan, shut up. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> he's aight. He has about five bajillion albums, but I don't really know his greatest hits. Um, they became part of a bidding war between labels EMI and Phonogram. The band ultimately decided on EMI due to it being the former label of the Beatles, and the band fully jumped up on the fully jumped on the up-and-coming New Romantic movement, which, for those who don't know, was a scene that emerged from nightclubs in London and Birmingham, particularly the clubs Billy's and the Blitz. It was characterized by its flamboyant and eccentric fashion that combined glam rock-era outfits with late 18th and early 19th century Romantic period. So, it was like Boy George. It, yeah, exactly. It's okay. It kind of... Ties in with new wave artists like like you said, Boy George of Culture Club, A Flock of Seagulls, and obviously Duran Duran. But yeah, it was just kind of it was more like a fashion movement than a music. But yeah. some music was more tied in because yeah, I mean I'm sure everybody's seen examples of it at the time, like spandex mixed with like fucking looking like you're a pirate or some shit, like mm -hmm. with feather caps and all that. Bring that back. I think <laughs> there actually was like a. It said there was a. Uh, I can't remember the name for it, but there was a related movement in the 90s, like, how, not house music scene, but kind of like electronic music scene, club okay. scene, that apparently brought it back for a little bit, but I've never heard of any of the artists that were associated with that. Electronic fans are weird. Yeah, I, I know, I could name you, like, five artists that are in the realm of electronic music, <laughs> probably like Daft Punk, Skrillex, Dead Mouse. Borgor. That's about all I got. Um, knife Party? Oh yeah, I've heard of them. But, either way, that's not the... <laughs> not talk, this is not... <laughs> this is not the boys name electronic music musician until they run out. <laughs> that's our next podcast. That's our next episode. Just go genre to genre, naming artists in a genre until we can anymore. Uh, but yeah, the uh, New Romantic movement mostly faded away around 1982, but it did help propagate what is considered the second British invasion, driven by the New Wave and post-punk acts. Um, Duran Duran's self-titled debut was released on June 15th of 1981 to originally mixed reviews, 
which is kind of a theme for a lot of their early work, uh, going on to receive high praise for creating a unique modern sound that spearheaded the previously mentioned New Romantic movement. Less than a year later, on May 10th of 1982, uh, the band's second album, Rio, was released. Definitely their most popular album, including classics everyone knows like Hungry Like the Wolf, the title track Rio. Um, The band shot music videos for six of the album's nine tracks, which was a big part in the huge success of MTV, which kind of ties into the whole second British invasion. It was like that and MTV were just kind of, you can't have one without the other. Yeah. Uh, And that in turn made Duran Duran one of the most popular bands in the world at the time. Similar to their first effort, Rio received mixed and negative reviews from critics, with most dismissing it as vapid and meaningless pop music. But again, similar to the first album, it has gone on to receive critical praise, with many considering it to be the band's finest work. Their next album, Seven and the Ragged Tiger, released on November 21st of 1983. that's a fucking album name. Yeah, it fucking... There was some reason it was named that. I think, like, the seven was the five band members, then, like, maybe some of the producers, and then the Ragged Tiger. I don't fucking know. I, it, wasn't, it wasn't noteworthy to me enough to, to write it down, but, yeah, that is a very odd... No, but that's a fucking title. Yeah, <laughs> it sounds like a, like, 70s martial arts movie, <laughs> Seven and the Ragged Tiger. Uh it changed up the vibe a little bit of the band, going in more of a synth pop and dance music direction with uh, synth in favor of guitar for most of the tracks, apparently. And it received like really negative reviews upon release, and it's gone on to receive some praise, but it still has more of a mixed reception than the first two albums uh, gained in retrospect. Then after a world tour in 84, uh, Duran Duran took a break and split to form two different side projects, uh, Arcadia and The Power Station. They reconvened in 1986 to record a new album, but both Roger and Andy Taylor left the band due to burnout. The band continued as a three-piece, releasing Notorious on November 21st of the same year. It took the band in more of a funk-pop direction and was met with mixed to positive reception. And then the band released The Big Thing on October 18th of 1988. And this was seen as the band's foray into house music, which is interesting. Okay, Uh, okay. Yeah, I... I kind of I didn't have time to, but I'm I'm sort of wanting to do like a discog dive on Duran Duran. Yeah, I, think I don't I, know. I think I'm interested in listening to a bunch of Duran Duran. I though. think so because I think I've said this before. Like you're definitely on the podcast. I think we said this. You're definitely more of the new wave, or I would say more post punk, but new I'm wave. I'm more into post punk, but I I've gotten into new wave. I a mean, couple times. they go sort of hand in hand. They're basically the same fucking yeah. genre. Yeah, and I'm I mean I know. I know, like, the biggest hits from most of those bands, like, Joy Division, New Order, The Cure, like, all, all the shit like that. Yeah. Like, I know enough, but I've never really gone into deep dives. But, yeah, it's kind of intriguing. They seem to have a pretty pretty up it's and a, down. It's a, like, New Wave is more of a movement than a genre, almost. Yeah. It feels like. Yeah, because some of it leans more electronic, and then some of it leans more, like, post-punk. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty varied, I would say. And then you got modern English that's doing. I don't fucking know what you would consider them. I don't know. I only know. I know don't they do with... Melt with You? Yeah. Yeah, I, that's the only song I know by them. That album is incredible. It is okay. Yeah, I definitely should uh, foray a little bit into that stuff. Um, but yeah, either way, the big thing was apparently a house music record, um, trying to hop in with the trends at the time, 
because this was a time where that second British invasion was faltering off and House and uh, Goya Metal were like at the top of every, uh, at the top of MTV. The bad part of the 80s. <laughs> Some would say that. Um, I think most would. Uh, I guess, yeah, most would. I mean, I don't, I don't know much about house music critical reaction, but glam metal definitely doesn't glam have the best track record. No. <laughs> the only thing we got out of glam metal was Pantera. <laughs> hey, I'm a glam metal apologist. Not to the highest degree, though, but there is some I enjoy. I like Poison. I'll be real with you. They got some bops. I, I fucking love Poison. Fucking Out of the Cellar by Rat, that record that has Round and Round on it, that record fucking slaps. I can't even lie. Oof. I can't even lie. You need to listen to it. See, I prefer glam metal revival, like, mm. you know, Ronnie Radke. Yeah. Yeah. Motley Crue's got some bops. But, yeah, diff but, uh, glam metal's also not the, not the subject of our episode, but I wouldn't be surprised if that was in the future. And then for the next album, guitarist Warren Kikurio. I don't really know how to pronounce his last name. Uh, and then Stummer, Stummer, drummer Sterling Campbell, who Stummer were... Darling Campbell. <laughs> Darling. Kibble. Hey, Kibble, shut up. Thank you. All right, we back. Um, drummer Sterling Campbell, who were session and touring members for the previous two albums, became official members of the band. Oh, good for them. The result was Liberty, released on August 20th of 1990. And it was our least successful album up until this point, garnering mostly negative critical reviews and selling significantly lower than its predecessors. After Liberty, Sterling Campbell left Duran Duran to join the band Soul Asylum, which was interesting, yeah. Runaway Train. What did they do? Runaway Train, never coming back. They had another really Wrong big... Wrong way on the one-way track. They had another song that I yeah. can't... Or no, I'm taking a shine by fucking... You're taking a shine by Collective Soul. Yeah. God, all the fucking, like, post-grunge post, post -grunge 90s rock besides, like, pop punk just kind of is the same thing to me. Like, it, like all the all the post-grunge uh, alt-rock stuff after Kurt Cobain died is kind of just the same. Um, but yeah, after... Oh, wait, I already said that. Yeah, he joined Soul Asylum. Then Duran Duran continued as a four-piece, recording their seventh album, releasing on February 11th of 1993. This album was their second self-titled self album. Uh, oh, they did a Weezer. Yeah. <laughs> but fans came up, came up with the moniker The Wedding Album due to the cover having wedding pictures of the band's members' parents. This album went in more of an alternative slash kind of pop rock direction and was met with some of their most positive reviews in some time. The single Ordinary World was featured on the album and ended up becoming one of their most recognizable and enduring songs. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't realize it was a later Duran Duran. Yeah, I didn't sure. either. Yeah. Came out in, I mean, the album before Thank You. So, yeah, that that's a bop. Um, and then it also has Come Undone, which is one of their bigger songs, too. I, yeah, that corn covered. Oh, yeah, of course. But, um, yeah, <laughs> I didn't. <laughs> and that, I wish we were living in that reality. That would be hilarious. I mean, they did. Corn did cover word up, so what's the word word up? <laughs> I actually think when Who I was originally did word up. I it was a one hit wonder, I can't remember. Okay, because in my mind it is corn. Yeah. That's the only version I know. No, it was like a eighties kind of hip hop pop band. I, oh, I can't remember. That's why I don't know who the fuck they are. But yeah, funny enough, I'm pretty sure when I was reading like just the whole overview of the band and went to their uh, influences and who who was influenced by them, I'm 
I don't quote me on this, but I think it said Jonathan Davis from Corn was a huge Duran Duran fan, which I feel like would make sense. I mean, I could see that. The local metal band that we used to be in, the drummer's <laughs> biggest biggest uh, inspiration is Africa. Well, it's Toto. <laughs> Toto. <laughs> so, like, yeah, metal <laughs> makes, guys love this show. Makes sense. Um, and then now we come to the topic of today's episode, and that, of course, is Thank You, released on April 4th of 1995. Thank You is a cover album where the band performs renditions of, I would say, a surprisingly eclectic group of artists, including The Doors, Public Enemy, Bob Dylan, and The Temptations. There's a lot of anti-racism songs on here, too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> which is, like, dope. It's pretty dope, yeah. It's weird that they would cover it, Yeah, it's dope. Well, yeah, we'll get to it. I have different thoughts on that. Um, it was met with pretty overwhelmingly negative reviews from critics and was even chosen as the worst album of all time by Q Magazine in 2006. Stephen Thomas Erwine, which I feel like, is he the only guy that fucking reviews stuff on all music? Because I feel like anytime I, I, so. anytime I, I quote, yeah, anytime I quote an all music review, it's always him. I'm like, this, this suit's popping out reviews left and right. Um, but he said in a, Two out of five star review. Uh, Thank You works best when the band realizes the monu monumental silliness of its cover, as on White Lines, which is performed with Grandmaster Flash himself and the acoustic blues rendition of Public Enemy's 911 is a joke. Or it works when they can reinvent material like Lou Reed's Perfect Day into a slick MOR, which, for those who don't know, means middle of the road, basically easy listening music. Oh, okay. I, had, I was like, what the fuck does. I've heard of AOR, album oriented rock, but I was like, the fuck is mor <laughs> uh, media oriented rock <laughs> but yeah mineral oriented rock Miner there we go jesus christ marie they're minerals it's mineral oriented rock um but yeah when they turn uh, lou reed's perfect day into a slick mor ballad when thank you doesn't work it's because the band doesn't quite get what made the original version special uh lay lady lay and watching the detectives too many plain mediocre songs the doors crystal ship prevent the album from being either unintentionally funny or genuinely successful. The record is a solely is solely a curiosity and not a very interesting one at that. Spin Magazine gave the album a 2 out of 10, with a very scathing yet, I think, pretty hilarious review, basically picking apart every track. Some highlights for me include uh, about the White Lines cover. Simon Lebon had to hire Grandmaster Flash and Melly Mel to do most of the rap, the few lines he whines stand out like Newt Gringich and Compton. <laughs> Holy I thought that was fuck. fucking hilarious. <laughs> and then about 911 is a joke. It sounds as convincing as Amy Grant covering Gigi Allen and not as funny, which Amy Grant is a uh, like pop artist. Never heard of her, but <laughs> I've heard of her. I would I would love to hear her cover Gigi Allen. Yeah. And then uh, finally, about the song title track, Thank You, uh, Laban does an excellent impression of Robert Plant being catheterized with a shrimp devainer. <laughs> wow. Yeah. <laughs> wow, that's, um, if we were that funny. <laughs> yeah, I wish we were that funny. If only we were that funny. If only we were that quirky. Uh, one of the very few positive things said about the album actually came from Lou Reed himself, who said that the Duran Duran cover of Perfect Day was... Quote, the best cover ever completed by one of my own songs. Yeah, I did read that on the Wikipedia page. Because I had to go to the Wikipedia page a couple of times and be like, who the fuck did this song originally Yeah. Mean? And then you made that playlist and I was like, oh, this is sick. Yeah. Um, I will go ahead and put it out there that this is probably the most time I've had to put into an album for this podcast. Just because you listen to the to originals. Listen to, I listened to the, like, the whole album like five times. I listened mm. to all the covers like four times. 
Yeah, how I did it, I listened to the album just straight up, didn't take any notes, listened to it straight up again, took a few notes, then I went and I made that playlist and I did the cover, then I would cue the original right after it said cover. I should have done that. Yeah, I went through it like that so I could hear, and then there was some, then I got most of my notes that third time, then there was some um, specific ones I had to go back to and listen to both versions again, and then last night I listened to just it with no covers for one last time to make sure I got everything. Yeah. But yeah, this was, I feel like... This is a huge time investment, as opposed to the other cover album where we knew the songs, there were a couple songs I had to look up. Wait, what cover? Oh, fucking Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Heart Club. Yeah, yeah. Soundtrack. Yeah, I, I, I would say I knew about. I knew most of them. I knew I, I'd say either half or a little less than half of these covers, but I knew most of them. I didn't know. Or oh, I want to say most of I them. I didn't really recognize any of them. Really? Honestly, like I know "Thank You," I know "Lady Lady Lay," mm-hmm. I know the Lou Reed cover. Like I've heard those songs before, but yeah. they've never like. They're not like mainstays. Yeah, I don't listen to a lot of that shit anymore. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, since the disaster, the disaster, since the disaster, that was Thank You, Duran Duran has gone on to release seven more albums to varying degrees of success and critical response. Um, you got Medazzaland in 1997, Pop Trash in 2000, which ended up becoming their worst-selling album to date, Astronaut in 2004, which reunited the Famous Five lineup of the band with all three Taylors, Laban, and Rhodes, Red Carpet Massacre in 2007, which saw Andy Taylor departing again with Dominic Brown replacing him. Also, Timbaland and Justin Timberlake helped produce the album, which I thought was okay. interesting. interesting. And then you got All You Need Is Now in 2010, Paper Gods in 2015, which became the band's ninth top five album, making them one of the few bands to achieve a top five album in four consecutive <laughs> decades, which is really impressive. Good for them. <laughs> and then most recently, Future Pass in 2021, uh, and then Duran Duran was actually inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2022, being inducted by Robert Downey Jr. Okay. So, cool. They do deserve it. Yeah. And then finally, on March of this year, Duran Duran announced yet to be a yet-to-be-titled album for the release in late 2023, which will feature a collaboration with former bandmate Andy Taylor. Oh, the Taylors are back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, apparently Andy Taylor had, like, stage four cancer or some shit. Oh, Or something, shit. I I think it said he was cured, like, they, or whatever now, but I was like, shit. Holy fuck. But yeah, he couldn't be at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction, and at first I was like, damn, is he salty? Because he wasn't in the band, but yeah, he apparently was fucking having... Having death. Yeah. <laughs> so, hopefully he's good, but that's pretty cool that they're collabing with him again. Yeah. So now we get to the album. Uh, you got any first thoughts? I came into this expecting a train wreck. I did too. I came into this expecting half-assed covers, uh, and I didn't get that. I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. Okay. I I did expect the same. I would say there's a few half-assed covers, but there's more... There's yeah, there's more good, and there's more just, I'd say, ridiculous and weird <laughs> covers than there are just like... And this feels like they didn't really care that much. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, um, not anywhere near the worst album I've ever heard. Like, <laughs> which is <laughs> which is a trend so far in the past few episodes. I feel like we had K-Fed, which was considered the worst by a bunch of people, and we enjoyed that. Then we had um, 
What else did we fucking do recently? I don't even remember. <laughs> but... We had something else that was considered one of the worst as well. Uh, I don't know. Either way, I feel like that is a kind of a trend. It's like, I don't know if we just don't... What quantifies as bad in our book is just vastly different from critics, or... I mean, yeah, because we're not critics. We're just casual music enjoyers. Yeah. And we grew up listening to bad music. Yeah, but... Like, we grew up in the early 2000s. There was no good music for, like, a decade. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's true. Except for Nelly. Well, yeah, Nelly there slaps. Just, there was just Nelly. There was just Nelly. He's the end-all, be-all. But, yeah, I mean, uh... I would say... Yeah, this is nowhere near the worst thing I've ever heard, and there's actually some pretty good material on it, I would have to say. So that brings us to the first track, which is White Lines, Don't Do It, uh, originally by Grandmaster Flash and the Funky Bunch. Uh, featuring Grandmaster Flash and Grandmaster Melly Mel. Mm -hmm. Melly Mel? Melly Mel? I think it's Melly Mel. Melly Mel, whatever it is. <laughs> but this takes uh, the original version and kind of makes it sound more upbeat than... The original, um, I mean, funky. yeah, the original is kind of one of those songs where it's a little upbeat, but has, a, I guess, a serious message. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, this one to me makes it kind of sound like the end credits of a mid-rate 90s feel-good comedy. <laughs> like, yeah. I feel like this would be perfect playing at the end of like fucking, I don't know. 51st States? Or yeah, like an Adam Sandler movie or something from yeah. like the late 90s, early 2000s. Every Kevin James movie could use this song. <laughs> Paul Bart Mall Cop. Um, but yeah, I, said, I can't I can't really lie. Like, this kind of gets me moving my head and bobbing a little. Like, I got a little boppy with it. Yeah, like, it's it's not bad. It's got a pretty good beat. It's pretty infectious and catchy. Uh, definitely not one of my favorites on the album. But... No, but the guitar tone is incredible. Mm -hmm. wow. I'd say that is a thing for, throughout the whole album. Like, the production and the sound of the instruments is like really like good you can throughout tell these guys have been doing music for like almost 20 years at this point yeah because they, they formed in what 77 i think so yeah the first album came out in 80 yeah so, so like they had been like this was 15 years of them producing famous albums mm -hmm. and you can tell because they have really good tone really good instrumentation mm -hmm. um there's a fucking solo in the song that I didn't know Duran Duran could do. <laughs> yeah. I, Which Dur is another, like, thread that continues through the album is just Duran Duran being like, look, we can solo. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> they, they do solo a lot, yeah. yeah. We're cool. Yeah, they're cool. Which is funny, because at this point, like, soloing was dead because of grunge. Yeah, I guess that's a, yeah, true. Uh, also pop punk. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Like, the music at this point was dead solo. Mm-hmm. And then we go to uh, I Want to Take You Higher, which, again, is a more, well, I guess the original of this one is pretty upbeat. Uh, original is a lot weirder than this cover. Yeah, who is this one by again? Um, I forgot Sly to... Sly and the Family Stone? Yeah, yeah, that's it. Sly and the Family Stone. Uh, yeah, the original is more of, obviously, a funk, soul, R&B type song. Um, this one's just more like a straight pop rock take on the song. It's still funky. Yeah. But, again, like the White Lines cover, it kind of just gives it a 90s update that, again, I feel like this one <laughs> sounds like it would belong in a movie soundtrack as well. Yeah, once again, Kevin James, if you're looking for, <laughs> if you're looking for a musical to make, <laughs> Music might I suggest Thank You, Duran Duran, the musical. Paul Bart, Mall Cop, the musical, featuring songs from Thank You by Duran Duran. 
I would buy a poster of it. Buy a poster? Not just a poster? You wouldn't see it? you just buy a poster? Uh, speaking of, someone I know happens to have... Uh, she worked in a movie theater. Mm. And she happens to have, like, five stacks of Paul Blart posters. <laughs> so That's a gold mine. I don't... I don't know if I'm going to take one, but I have to, so next time you come over, you see a bunch of Paul Blart monsters. <laughs> don't be alarmed. It's going to be all over the ceiling everywhere. The ceiling is just Paul Blart mall cop posters. Paul Blart, he's in your walls. He's in your walls. Um, but yeah, the bass sounds really fucking good in this song. It has like it kind of sounds like it uh, should belong in a Sega Genesis game. It has yeah. like that really chunky uh, 16-bit sound yeah. to it. Yeah, Which I, I actually didn't catch until last night when I because every time I was listening to this, it was with one headphone. Except for last night, I listened to it on my uh, speakers, and I was like, "Damn, this fucking bass kind of go hard." Like it, it went hard before, but it has like that really, like chunky and just yeah. really '90s tone. The only yeah, thing I, that makes it not sound like a Sega Genesis game is it's not farty. Yeah, I'd say it is a little bit. I kind of got that. It's a little that. farty, but it's not like like Sega Genesis games are farty. <laughs> Yeah, like if, if you isolated it and I guess made it a little more farty, I could see this being the fucking background bass like line a of a, yeah, like a Contra or a fucking uh, Streets of Rage Streets or of something, Rage, yeah. yeah. But yeah, really fucking good bass. Uh, I will say the end part, or the part near the end, is really corny where, uh, I can't remember if this is in the original, where they just say boom shakalaka laka, boom shakalaka laka, over and over, I can't, I can't remember. Boom <clears throat> But they do say that a lot, and um... Near the end, uh, I, I'm assuming it's the female background vocalist who is present on a lot of these songs. Um, she says, what is that you guys are saying? And then they're just like, boom, shakalaka-laka, boom, shakalaka-laka. And she's like, no, something about taking me somewhere? And they're like, oh, yeah, higher. <laughs> I'm just like, okay. <laughs> it was weird. It was very weird. It just felt like one of those... I mean, I guess that fits in with the 90s. Uh, but, yeah, kind of, um, kind of a weird little little in-song skit type thing. Yeah, then we get to Perfect Day, which is a huge mood shift. Yeah, I have to say, I think this is one of the weakest covers on the album. I think so. Yeah. Um, it's still a good cover in its own right. Yeah, I mean, it's not awful. Um, especially making me enjoy a song by an artist that we are known to hate on this podcast. <laughs> I wouldn't say we're known to hate Lou Reed. I mean... My brother in Christ. <laughs> I mean, we hate Lulu, but that's only like one of the fucking 30-something albums he did. That's the most important album he did. <laughs> I mean, I will say... Um, I'm not a Lou Reed fan. I mean, I'm, really. I'm not I'm not going to say I'm a Lou Reed fan, I, but I wouldn't say I'm a Lou Reed hater. I mean, I... I'm a Lou Reed hater. I don't, I don't know enough by him to, to go one way or the other. Uh, I mean, all the Velvet Underground stuff I've heard, I enjoy. And then the first album... Or I don't think it's his first album, but the album that this that Perfect Day is from, Transformer. Everything I heard from that I really like, including this, uh, Walk on the Wild Side. Um, but yeah, I think the thing about this cover uh, is like it's not bad, but Lou Reed, uh, the original, is just is like really simple and subdued, like kind of a lo-fi feeling, which yeah. I think is the perfect feel for this song because it really brings out the emotional and heartwarming lyrics to the forefront. And this cover is kind of... I mean, this cover isn't like fucking... makes it a upbeat rock song or anything, but I feel like it's just too... There's a little too much going on. A little too much going on for it to feel as important as the original. And then also, like, 
Lou Reed, love or hate his vocals, they're pretty divisive, but I think they really work for the song, and I think having the more technically well-done vocals that Simon Lebon has kind of takes away from that. Because yeah. I feel like the song, the original, I, I would say, is like a really amazing song, uh, and Lou Reed's style fits perfectly to it, to the whole aesthetic of the song. Um which, I mean, I guess is why he was so popular. He had, like, his own little... He's the opposite of Bob Dylan. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're kind of similar. Because well, they no, both have really... Bob Dylan, the covers are always better. Oh, okay, okay. Lou Reed, covers aren't as good. Okay, yeah, I get what you mean. He's he's a bizarro Bob Dylan. Bizarro Bob Dylan. <laughs> yeah, I feel, like, I feel like you could make a bunch of parallels to Bob, Bob Dylan and Lou Reed. But that's for another time. But, uh, yeah, I, I would say, I mean, it's it's not awful, but I'd say this is one of the ones where I feel like it's sort of phoned in, and yeah. I really don't understand. I mean, I don't think I've ever heard a Lou Reed cover before this, but I feel like there has I, to be I, better ones there's, out there. There's covers of Walk on the Wild Side. I'm sure there is. That aren't, but they're, they're not as good as the original. Okay. So, yeah, yeah he's literally Bizarro Bob Dylan. <laughs> um... But after this, we get to watching The Detective, mm. which I am a known Elvis Costello fan. Are you? Yeah, I love Elvis Costello. See, I was honestly was wondering that. I was like, does Austin like Elvis Costello? I love Elvis Costello. Okay, I feel like I was like, I feel like Austin either only knows a couple <laughs> of songs like me, or is like really into Elvis Costello. <laughs> I'm not really into Elvis Costello, but I've listened to a couple Elvis Costello albums. Mm -hmm. This is not a song I had heard. Okay. It's I weird for Elvis Costello. Yeah, I think this was one of his earlier songs. Yeah, I think so. But yeah, it's kind of more of a reggae ska inspired song, it's which really good. The original's really good. It is really the good. The cover's really good. Eh, I like the cover. I, again, just like Perfect Day, I don't hate it, but I think the just what they do with it takes away uh, the uniqueness of the original. Just yeah, just like that Perfect is fair. Day. Um, I the verses in the cover don't do it for me. But the chorus, they really nailed the chorus. Mm. Um, and also at the end, so there's a really cool solo around 315. Mm -hmm. Once again, they're just like, we can solo. We're yeah. Duran Duran. We can solo. Um, and then the outro almost feels like, it kind of like to me felt like being chopped and screwed. Because they just hmm. took other parts of the song and made this like new outro. Okay, I... Don't recall that. Using, like, okay. different clips from the rest of the song and, like, like chewed them together. Hmm. Interesting. I didn't, I didn't like really... Outro. Yeah, it was really, it was really cool when hmm. I, I realized, I was like, holy shit, this hmm. is, this is rad. Okay. Yeah, um, yeah, not awful, but I think the, the original is, like, more a really tongue-in-cheek and quirky song, and I feel like this one makes it sound more serious i yeah. guess like i did find myself singing this song a lot <laughs> yeah it's 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 not an awful cover but uh definitely definitely not my favorite on the album but yeah i will say this is a song uh that this album made me discover that i was like damn this is a good song i might need to listen to more elvis costello because i've i can't even actually name another song of his i know i've heard a few and what is that one Elvis Costello song? And I've always thought that they were decent, but he's one of those, uh, again, just like in that realm of post-punk new wave stuff that I just haven't 
haven't really delved into in my life. Oh, there's that one really, there was one that was on Guitar Hero. Yeah, there was. That's, I don't know what the hell it was called. I don't know. But, yeah, good song. I might need to listen to more Elvis Costello. You should. Everyone should. Uh, we are now an Elvis Costello fan pod. <laughs> Elvis, if you're listening, <laughs> keep it real, bro. <laughs> she Elvis on the Costello till I watch the detective. <laughs> bro. <laughs> hell yeah. <laughs> um, then we get to Lay Lady Lay. Uh, and I am a known Bob Dylan hater. You are. And I am known to think that Bob Dylan covers are always better than the original, and this is no exception. Mm. Even though it's not a great cover. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there is a lot of really good Bob Dylan covers. Like, obviously, All Along the Watchtower is There's by like Jimmy. There's three is... covers of All Along the Watchtower that rule. Yeah, and then obviously, the I mean, the fucking Jimmy cover is so iconic that people think that it's his song. Yeah, um, <laughs> then... They're, as much as I hate Guns N' Roses, they did a really good cover of that one song. Knocking on Heaven's Door. Yeah, yeah I do like their cover. Even though I hate Guns N' Roses. <laughs> yeah, they're they're not my favorite. Um, but yeah, I'm sure there's there's, there's other ones that, that don't come to mind. And also, I mean, we have Jacob <clears throat> Dylan, the more important Dylan. <laughs> I've never heard any of his music. Oh, he did uh, One Headlight. Oh, duh. I for, yeah, okay, I fucking yeah. forgot. I forgot about that. He's the yeah. better Dylan. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I mean, I'm not... I'm not a Bob Dylan, like, major fan. Again, oh, I... Oh, you're a Bob Dylan apologist. <laughs> again, I only know, which, I mean, he has a bunch of fucking hits. So, like, I, I know a lot of his songs, but I only really know the major hits. I, I will agree, like, his voice can get grating at times. Sounds like he has a kazoo stuck up his fucking windpipe, but... Yeah. Um, But I think that... Similar to the Perfect Day cover, I feel like Bob Dylan, just since he does have that unique voice, it gives the original version of the song a uniqueness that I think this cover just kind of takes away. Um, it's just, I don't know, it's just kind of bland and awkward it's to just me. A, it's just a 90s standard love song. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, the the original isn't an amazing song i don't think like it's not one of my favorite bob dylan songs no. but i don't know this one just didn't really do anything for me i will say this is probably the most on this album the cover that sounds the most like duran duran to me oddly enough given i've only heard like a handful of their original songs but uh simon Lebon does that I think this is like the only time in the album he really does like that higher pitched vocal range yeah. in the chorus i think and I feel like every Duran Duran song I've heard, like it kind of reminds me of Ordinary World. Um, and he doesn't, he, he kind of has a lower voice in a lot of these songs. There for a minute, I was like, does Duran Duran have two vocalists? Because I don't know. It's, yeah, he's very low in this album. Yeah. And I feel like everything I've heard he's by him. He's a hell of a range. Yeah. He's, he's a very talented vocalist for sure. Um, but yeah, most, most of the Duran Duran I've heard, he uses his higher range and I was kind of like, it kind of threw me off, and then I heard this, and I was like, oh, I guess it's the same guy. <laughs> um, then we get to 911 as a joke. <laughs> uh, I love this cover. It was ballsy as hell for them to do uh, this. Yeah, this one's a... It's a trip. It sounds like Beck. I, I literally made that same <laughs> comparison. Yeah, it just... They, they give it, like, the fucking banjo and the... Uh, it sounds just like Loser. Yeah, and then the vocals have that, like... I don't know exactly like the, um, what effect you would call it. It's like it. the radio yeah. uh, filter. Yeah, like it sounds like it's coming through a... Like through an a, old-timey microphone? Yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, it's a hell of a cover. 
I don't know how I feel about it. It's like I. It it's baffling. I guess. I mean, that they would have came up with this. Like I don't know. Yeah, it it's, just it's, it's just very odd. Wild. I want to know what Public Enemy thinks about it. Yeah, that would be interesting to know. Um, but the chorus is so catchy. It is very catchy. I, I would argue the chorus in this is catchier than the chorus in the original. Yeah, I'll give you that. Um, I think the original is a better song, but yeah. I think the chorus is, is catchier. But I don't know. And again, like we were saying earlier, it is interesting in a way. I mean, it is cool that they cover songs that are like about um like social issues social issues but it's weird coming from duran duran yeah i was like it's very weird They're to british. hear four british white people talking about, about one. yeah it's like my brother in christ <laughs> like my i don't in know christ, you have 999 or whatever uh, yeah 999 is a joke <laughs> <laughs> isn't it bro <laughs> but yeah i don't know it's it's cool in a way but also i mean I'm not going to say it's ill-intentioned or anything, like, they didn't do anything wrong, but I will say it's kind of, I guess, tone-deaf in a way. Yeah. I don't know, because it's like, I mean, it would be one thing if, like, Americans that were white were covering it, and even then, I mean, I don't know. I guess it's not my place to, to, say, it, to say anything, like, yeah. if they should or not. It just feels a little weird to me. I mean... Obviously, they didn't do anything wrong, and they shouldn't be criticized for it, but, yeah, it does kind of feel it's weird. It's a weird cover. I think it's sick, though. Yeah. I like this cover. Yeah, it just is very weird to hear white British people talking about social issues coming. American social issues, yeah. Yeah, especially, like, shit with Public Enemy, like, how how intense their lyrical content and how real it was. But after that, we get to success. Um, it's a good cover. Yeah, it's a it's a man cover. It's all right. Um, um, it sounds like Big Star. Okay, yeah, I could see that. And I really like Big Star. I only know a couple of songs. Uh, Rep in the home state, Big Star. They're from Tennessee. They're from Memphis. Oh, okay. Well, Al Alex Chilton is at least. Okay, interesting. Yeah, Rep in the home state with good old Alex Chilton. Nice, I didn't know that. Um, Which is a song they should have covered. Yeah. <laughs> Alex Chilton wasn't even out yet. <laughs> no. When, who who even did that? Uh, the replacements. That was probably out. The replacement started in like the mid late eighties. I don't really know much about whenever uh, their albums came out. Let's see. Damn, they're still making music. Shit. Oh yeah, it was in the eighties. Hmm. Okay. So they could have covered it. But yeah, either way. Um, yeah, it's it's an all right. Oh, no, this is it. What? I ended up on the Alex Chilton page. Bro, it's right there. Alex Chilton, two thousand eight remastered. I just searched Alex Chilton to find to try to find the album, and I ended up on the Alex Chilton page. And Alex Chilton still make Alex Chilton is dead. He's not still making music. Eighty seven. Eighty seven. So yeah, fucking eight years before this album came out, they could have covered it. They should have. But yeah, I wish I had heard this song "Success" before. I think it's a really, like the original. I really liked have you it. You heard "Success." No, I don't... I haven't... I don't know. Was you, Iggy Pop Bowie, or was this song just written by Bowie? It was written by Bowie. But Iggy Pop is not Bowie. No. What do you mean, is he not Bowie? Okay, because David Bowie has like 17 personas. 
<laughs> you thought that Iggy Pop was a David Bowie person? I don't listen to Iggy Pop. The Stooges. Okay, cool. Yeah, the Stooges. So David Bowie just wrote a song for the Stooges guy. Yeah, apparently. Okay, um, cool. Because I'm not a David Bowie fan. That would be hilarious. Um, yeah. Fucking... Yeah, I don't think I've ever heard any Iggy Pop or, or uh, solo songs. I've only heard this one. Yeah, I've I've listened to all the Sto- Stooges. Only have three albums. They're all really good. Um, but I really like this original. But yeah, you can definitely tell it was written by David Bowie. Um, yeah, it kind of sounds like a precursor to Fame by yeah. David Bowie. Like it, it kind of is the same subject matter and kind of. I mean, Fame is a little more like. 70s disco feeling funky whereas this one i think it came out in the 60s so uh i felt this one kind of is more just like a straight up glam rock song but but yeah i really like it um the cover is kind of note for note i would say less energetic but it's not bad more 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 uh big starry yeah it's not bad which is nice big star if you haven't listened to big star and i know most of you have not listened to big star (laughs) Um, don't assume. Don't assume like musical the, interest. You like the intro to that '70s show. <laughs> Everyone does. That's Big Star. Listen to the band. Yeah, well, it's a cover of a Big Star song, but yeah, didn't. I think I think for the first season it was the original Big Star song, and then it turned into a cover in the later seasons. It was either the original or some some other random band covered Doing it like for a the note f- for note. Covered the front, yeah, and then Cheap Trick did it from season yeah. two onward. It's just sick. Um, well, after this, we get Crystal Ship. Which is more what I expect from Duran Duran. Mm, I was, like, fully expecting to hate this. Um, this is the Doors cover? Yeah, because this is one of the one of the best Doors songs, I think. It's a really good song. Um, but I actually really fuck with this cover. Like, I, I was surprised by how much I liked it. And it, it ended up becoming one of my favorites. Um, okay. It doesn't surpass the original, but... I think it stays true enough to the original while yeah, updating it. It definitely to, stays true to the original, but yeah, it's a more new wave. Yeah, while updating the instrumentation, um, kind of turns it into a kind of funk neo-psychedelic, because obviously the doors were sort of psychedelic-ish. Um, but I, I would say this kind of reminds me of something like Lenny Kravitz would do. Like, you know, that, yeah. that kind of 90s like R&B neo-psychedelic fusion type stuff that was kind of kind of a thing at the time uh haven't heard haven't heard much stuff like that but what i've heard this reminded me of it and um and oddly enough like the instrument tone sounded like corn to me (laughs) like the i don't know like the bass had that um the drums and the bass had that like punchy like the really thick bass tone and like the really thumpy snare tone that sounded like the freak on a leash to me and then um the guitar had kind of went for like a eerie and like hypnotic lead uh kind of i don't know how to describe it like kind of wavering in and out like it feels like it's kind of swirling around your head and that also reminds me of freak on a leash yeah, it's it is kind of corny. It, yeah, it, it was weird because I was like, obviously, Corn had released their first album to this point, and I'm sure Duran Duran didn't listen to Corn. But wouldn't that be some shit? That would be some shit. But yeah, it, it was very weird to me. It just the instruments just made me think of Corn for some reason. Um, but I will say, Laban does a really good job at um, doing a Joe Morrison impression, like. He sounded pretty yeah, similar yeah. to him. Uh, I think he did it justice. Yeah. 
Um, after that, we got Ball of Confusion. The bass tone on the song is absolutely nasty. Yeah, it's really fucking good. Also, that was the first thing I put down. I would say it's probably the best part of the cover. It's disgusting. The drums are also incredible mm -hmm. in this cover. Um, they do a really good job framing what they want out of it. And the chorus sounds almost like Rage Against the Machine. Yes, the fucking... The, I'm glad you said that. It sounds the, like, I think, Gorilla Radio. It's No, it's... um. Uh, killing in the name of. Killing in the name of. Da, 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 da. Well, it's no, it's not that. It's not it's, that part, but it's like... the it's the part from the chorus of uh, Killing in the Name of where it's like. Yeah, it does that like note for note. Yeah, and Has I was, that song been out. Already? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The album came out in either ninety one or ninety two. So yeah, and I was like, when I heard that, I was like, Am I tripping? Did fucking like. Rage Against the Machine take that guitar line from The Temptations. There is no fucking way they did that. They might, then, they probably because they, it's in the that line's in the original Temptations song too. Is it? Yeah. The da 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 da. I did not catch that. It's in there. Yeah. I I went to listen to it and I did not hear it. Was unless, I not? unless I'm fucking like making shit up now, I thought, <laughs> unless I'm just like hearing shit while listening to the Temptations now, but I'm pretty sure it's in there. <laughs> well, I will we'll listen to it after the pod and find out. Well, I will. I will say there was a part in the original that I don't think Duran Duran um, did in their cover that was kind of a uh, like ascending note uh, progression that I think is also in Killing in the Name of I. I can't recall what it sounds like, but it's like, um, towards the middle. Oh, what? It's like, um, it's like, dun, 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 That's in, uh, the fucking, it's, it's also on that album. It's like, uh, they say jump, you say how high. I can't yeah. remember what song that's yeah, from, but yeah, that's in the original. And, um, that is similar to what Rage Against the Machine does on whatever song that is. But yeah, a lot of weird, <laughs> a lot of weird parallels here. But yeah, we will need to listen to that to see because I because as soon as I heard that, I was like, I have to hear the original, and I didn't catch it, and I was really trying to. <clears throat> but either way, very weird. But uh, getting back on topic, the this cover is really catchy. I will say, but I mean, so was the original. The original was a really fucking good song. I never heard before. I never, I never got into the Temptations. I mean, all I've heard from them is like they're more love songs, but this yeah. again is another like touches racial topics yeah, like and social issues. In. People moving out. Yeah. People moving out. People moving in. Why? Because the color of their skin. Yeah. It should. That shit goes hard. Yeah. Yeah. The original goes fucking hard, but again, just like kind of white lines, but really more so nine one one as a joke. It feels weird for Duran Duran. Yeah, it feels really this. weird to do this, but like. Whatever. Yeah, whatever. They're allowed to do covers of songs. Yeah, I mean, yeah, not not shitting on them. It just it just feels a little awkward again, like we said. Um, but I mean, it was the '90s, like. Oh, and also, fucking Anthrax covered the song, and I listened to it last night, and it it, it went fucking hard. Hell yeah! It was dude. good. It, yeah, it was really fucking good. Um, yeah, I'm gonna have to listen to that now. Yeah, we'll need to listen to it. But yeah, um, I will say this: this uh, cover sounds like a fucking PSA like you know those 90s like music uh like they would do the music videos and like have an anti-drug or yeah like a stranger danger song or something this this feels like that this is your anti-racism PSA yeah like it sounds like a PSA just because it's so 
I don't know, like like over the top and like cheerful sounding, and even yeah. though it's touch touching, which I mean the original the original is also, also like that is also cheerful sounding, but <clears throat> yeah, just a, just a nineties uh, update brings it to sounding like that to me. Yeah. I just I just couldn't. I could hear this in a dare program. Yeah, exactly. I definitely could. Um, after Ball of Confusion, we get to Thank You, which is the title track on the album. Mm -hmm. uh, it's another, it's a pretty solid cover. Yeah. Um, this one, my thoughts are similar to the Crystal Ship cover. Uh, I thought I would really dislike it because I love the original by Led Zeppelin. Um, and though I don't like it as much as the original, uh, I'd say the updated instrumentation and production brings something new and exciting to it. Um, yeah. While, again, staying faithful to the original. And even more surprising than uh, Laban doing Jim Morrison justice with his vocal performance is him doing Robert Plant justice, which I don't think it sounds As like if he Robert was. Robert Plant was being uh, catheterized by a shrimp debater. Yeah, uh, I don't. I don't I, think it sounds like that at all. Yeah, no, I, it it wasn't like I. The, they they made it sound like he couldn't hit the notes, and I think he did. Um, yeah, I think he did really good on this. Especially um, near the end, he pulls off uh, one of Robert Plant's like signature wails that he does in a fucking song, yeah. where he's like kind of moaning and screaming. Also, the guitar <laughs> tone, while nothing like the original, is very Led Zeppelin. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and this one again, like the Crystal Ship cover, kind of brings that like neo psychedelic 90s vibe to yeah. the song that updates it really well i think i, I like this cover it was good yeah, it's a good cover and then we go to drive by which is the only original on the album very fucking bizarre interlude slash skit slash original instrumental it's, song it's a spoken word ambient song yeah it says someone named ambient spoken word band <laughs> we're not this weird yeah apparently it I don't. I was saying that it was a um, an updated version. I don't know if updated means they just re-recorded it or if they maybe it was just the spoken word part in the original when they added the instrumentation towards or the instrumental part towards the end for this one from the uh, fucking seven and the whatever Tiger album. It's apparently from that. Okay. Um, yeah. But it starts out with a, uh, what sounds like a film score to me with like an ambient beat and like a really subdued violin. Um, then a narrator starts babbling about some incoherent, incoherent plot about a guy driving through LA and weird shit coming out of the sky that goes absolutely nowhere. I don't know if it makes sense in the context of the album it's it originally from, the context of the original album. which um, I don't know why the hell they included it in this and a covers album i have no idea but i will say like after you get past that very awkward beginning part the fucking instrumental part goes hard as shit oh yeah the pan flute solo yeah like they fucking channel their inner inner jethro toe out of fucking nowhere and just like go fucking crazy on a flute that pan like, flute goes stupid yeah dude. like it, it, they kind of uh it kind of starts with like a medieval sounding drum line like yeah. a like a kind of a marching uh, marching drum line, and then, yeah, just someone, I don't if you know. If listen to nothing else on this album, listen to that fucking pan flute. Yeah, I don't know who who fucking did it, but they went fucking stupid on this shit. Like, I, was, I was like, this could easily be a fucking Jethro Tull song for all, I, yeah. for, for all I'm concerned. Um, but yeah, it's overall a very bizarre and out-of-place song on the album, and it's definitely a track of two halves where... 
for the first half I was confused and I was like, why the fuck is this on here? And I mean, I guess I was also like that on the second part, yeah, the second I but like, I was like, I'll fucking forgive it because this goes hard yeah, as shit. Yeah, it goes so fucking hard. The second I was like, what the fuck is this? I, yeah, I don't know if they were like just trying to pad the runtime of this Maybe. album, which I think they also do with the last song on this album. Oh yeah, I want to take you higher again. Again, yeah. Yeah, uh, when I first... Just a remix of their... I want to think, It uses the same vocal like takes i think yeah when i first saw this um i thought that maybe sly and the family stone did like a sequel song to their song and this is like a cover of that sequel song but then i was like this is the same thing except instead of having a uh like the first one was more of a pop rock song this one is more of like a straight up pop kind of dance yeah. song it's less funky. Yeah, I'm I'm assuming they had some sort of argument of which one they liked better, so they were just like, fuck it, let's include both yeah, of them. probably. Which they really should have just done it as like a bonus track on the CD or something. Yeah. Um, I definitely like the first one a lot more than this one. Yeah, they could have they had this as a bonus track, because they had like three other covers that were exclusive to other parts of the world yeah yeah I didn't. I didn't get a chance to listen to i, I didn't either we were gonna cover them for this out for this podcast yeah um i would like to go back and listen to them from how much i like this song or this album yeah but i will say the the pop rock version that's the second track sounds like the fucking again going back to a 90s feel-good comedy like that it feels like what would play at the beginning scene when like you're seeing all the fucking characters go by in high school like somebody's skating through the hallway and they're yeah. like summer vacations about this to start. is a decom song yeah then this one uh the the last the last track the second version of the song uh feels more like it would play over the ending credits of that said movie because yeah. you know you know how like movies will do that they'll play like one version of a song and then they'll kind of they'll either make it like an instrumental version or like kind of make it more uh poppy yeah more poppy like this really was was doing that um which, I don't know, could be intentional from Duran Duran. Because be. they have a lot of uh, songs on movie soundtracks. Yeah. I mean, even the Thank You cover was came out before this album did, and it was on a soundtrack to a yeah. Brendan Fraser movie that I've never heard of. Um, but yeah, I will say, as much as I do enjoy the instrumental part of Drive-By, uh, just the whole beginning part of that song, and then them just rehashing the same song from earlier just in a kind of different way really it makes the ending very weak yeah i i think they really should have just taken the weird spoken word part and just had that straight up instrumental part as like an interlude between two songs earlier in the album and then just included the i want to take you higher again as a bonus track and it would have yeah. ended on a much better note like I, I think ending with thank you would have been a good way yeah. to end the album <laughs> yeah for sure um favorite songs Favorite songs is definitely... I should start with least favorite songs, actually, because my favorite song is every song except for my least favorite song. Okay, start with it. Okay, so my least favorite songs are I Want to Take You Higher and... Or no, sorry. Perfect Day and Lay Lady Lay. Okay. And they're still good covers. Yeah, my least favorites are... Perfect Day, um, Watching the Detectives and Lay Lady Lay. 911 is a joke almost gets there but i think it's cheesy enough to be above those and again like the three that i listed and the two you listed i don't think are they're still good or bad like they're they're decent they're just they're just some of those songs that are just more uninspired yeah um and then my favorite song is everything else on the album yeah and i guess i will say like i want to take you higher again 
I wouldn't include that as a least favorite, I guess, because... That's, that's the only song. That and Drive By are the only songs that I would consider, like, not favorite or least favorite. Yeah, they're just kind of there. They're just kind of there. Which, again, the, instrument, the instrumental part fucking goes hard. It saves it saves it from being a least favorite song. It's so album. fucking good. Like, y'all need to listen to it, please. Please. If you're a Jethro Tull fan, listen to that. Even if you're not a Jethro Tull yeah, fan. Even, yeah. Be a Jethro Tull fan. What the fuck is wrong with If you're you? just an average pan flute enthusiast, listen to it. The most sane pan flute enthusiast. <laughs> but yeah, the most sane. Um, bro, that song is the fucking. That's the original uh, Barbie Heimer. The original Barbie Heimer. <laughs> the first part is Oppenheimer, and the pan flute solo is Barbie. But uh, I guess I will say I will agree with you that like the rest of it is all good as a whole. But if I had to pick out like my favorite favorites, it's definitely um, Thank You, Crystal Ship, and. Mm, I guess Ball of Confusion. If I had to pick three favorites, it's Ball of Confusion, I Want to Take You Higher, and White Lines. Okay. I like the funk. Okay, yeah. Yeah, they definitely bring the funk, surprisingly, for four British white boys. Yeah. <laughs> they bring the funk. Um, Play that funky music, white boy. By I mean, God. I mean, that's what the song was about. <laughs> yeah, it was. Just, you know, they went 20 years in the future. They just knew. <laughs> they, they, just, knew. they were they, like... They knew. This Duran Duran thing was blowing up. <laughs> They're going to play some funky music later. <laughs> they going to do it. Uh, but yeah, so this album has a, on Rate Your Music, a 2.41 from 616 ratings. That's out of 5? Mm-hmm, out of 5. So that's a 4.82. Mm-hmm. That's low. It is low. That's so low. It is low. I'm giving this album a 9. Damn. I, I won't go that high. Um, I'll give it... I'll give it a 7.5. A solid seven and a this, half. This might be my favorite album we've listened to for this podcast. Damn, really? Yeah. Shit, I don't even... And we've listened to some pretty good albums for this podcast. You like this more than, uh... Uh... I like Thousand it more, Sons? I like it more than Thousand Sons. Really? I like it more than Attila. Damn, no. This Attila... Attila's better than this. This is... I think this is my favorite first song we've listened to. I like it more than Ronnie fucking Radke. Damn. I think... Yeah, I guess now that, now that you're... Refreshing my memory, I say Attila and Fashionably Later, probably my favorite two albums we've covered, which which is weird because they were back-to-back, episode two and episode three. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is still up there at a 7.5 for me. It's, yeah. it's in the upper half. This is fucking huge. Yeah, I mean... This is a big, this is a common Duran Duran W. <laughs> common Duran Duran W. <laughs> The the virgin the virgin critics can't stand the Chad Duran Duran. Honestly, that, that yeah. is jealous of Duran Duran. Yeah, I mean, going through like the write your music, I didn't. It had, uh, it had a pretty good amount of like actual reviews, and I was reading some of them, and yeah, people, but like almost everybody was like, "This is the worst fucking album I've ever heard." Like, this is so embarrassing. This is, this was such a fucking, like, this killed the band. All this shit, and I. I I don't understand. How did it kill the band? They made seven albums after this. I, yeah, I know. I I don't understand. I mean, I guess maybe because they kind of hit that lull after uh, some of the members left, and then they picked it up with the wedding album, which I guess is a seems to be a fan favorite. I guess that's why. But I'm like, I I don't know. Like, there's really nothing. I mean, even even nine one one is a joke, which I guess you could say, if anything, is the most embarrassing, embarrassing and corny song. Like it's still, it's not awful, but I like it. 
I like it a lot. Yeah, I, I don't know. Like, I, again, like, just like K-Fed, I, I mean, I feel like K-Fed was more understandable why it was so shit on, just because of who he is as a person. Yeah, and also, at that point in time, all music sounded like that. Yeah, but I, I don't really know the, the reason why this is so hated. I've, I've heard way worse covers than anything on this album. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Seven and a half for me, nine for you. That's a pretty fucking good score. So, guys, do you think it deserves one last breath? Because we fucking do. I think it does. I mean, I don't know. I I would recommend this to Duran Duran fans, to 80s and 90s pop music fans. Uh, your casual pan flute enjoyers. Casual pan flute enjoyers. Um fans of any of the artists that they covered fans of any like if you like specific songs on this check those out i mean check out the whole album though i think yeah i think this is this is the first time that i can confidently say that everyone should listen to this entire album yeah i think so but yeah i was i was surprised i was definitely surprised and duran duran needs to or i need to indulge into some duran duran i think on a duran duran kick yeah I think I'll need to to listen to a few of their albums. Um, we will see you next week with something that's probably not as good. Yeah, probably not. <laughs> um, see you guys. See ya.